Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Why don't you go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. I'm fired up about the Word today. I know it's going to feed your spirit. And had so many testimonies and things at the end of the first service. Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 3. And the Bible says, now faith. Everybody say faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. And by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen in the natural realm was not made out of things that are visible. I want to speak to you today on the subject, God's heavenly broadband network. There is a heavenly broadband network. Now, you've heard of a national broadband network. Well, the house where we used to live many years ago suffered from internet connection problems. It didn't matter how many demons we cast out of the online connection. Uh, nothing was working because we're in a dead spot. And so I, I was driving through that part of Melbourne the other day and I was on the phone and it dropped out. And uh, again, I tried to rebuke the devil, but it wasn't the devil. It was just bad internet. And where that house was, was in sort of a, a, a valley. And so uh, apparently the frequency didn't arrive there. And so the NBN, the National Broadband Network, which is a national communications infrastructure designed to improve the speed of online communications, is supposed to help. I'm yet to see the fulfillment of that prophecy, if you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, but we need to understand that in the kingdom of God, there is a heavenly broadband network. And so if we don't plug in to God's HBN, then you can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, but not necessarily see any answers to prayer. I don't know about you, but there comes a point where you get sick of just praying and you want to see some answers. Is anybody else with me or am I the only discontent person in the room? There comes a point in your journey where you give and you give and you give and you do it because you love God and you honour His house and you want to honour Him with the tithe and, and that's, it's an act of worship and an act of obedience and you're giving the offering and believing for a breakthrough. There comes a point where we want to see a breakthrough. And what often happens is in our lives that when there is a lack of answers to prayer or, or, or lack of breakthrough, we start to accept it as it is and we blame the sovereignty of God. We say, well, if God wills it, it'll happen. God wants it to happen all according to His sovereignty. But I want to tell you today, God's sovereignty will never do for you what His Holy Spirit has commissioned your faith to possess. Lots of people are blaming the sovereignty of God because they refuse to take responsibility for their faith to rise up and possess that which God says is available to you today. You've got to understand your faith partners with heaven's intention. Heaven has an intention. God's Spirit wants to speak and move in your life today, but your faith has got to rise up and lay hold of the Word that you're receiving in your life. 
God's heavenly broadband network is the spirit of faith. Paul talks about faith as a spirit. He's not saying that faith is a separate spirit to the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the work of the spirit in your life produces faith. The Bible talks about salvation faith, that there is faith that saves you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That's salvation faith. But then there's the gift of faith. And the gift of faith is a supernatural gift that's given to you for you to believe for God to move in impossible circumstances. There's no point praying and believing for the gift of faith if you're not prepared to face some impossible circumstances. Everyone wants to move in faith. No one wants to face some impossible circumstances. Everyone wants a testimony. No one wants to go through a test. You can't have a testimony without a test. You can't have a supernatural move of God in faith if you're not facing something that requires a supernatural miracle. And so faith is something that is given to us as a measure. The Bible says to think of yourself soberly according to the measure of faith you've received. You've got a measure. You've got a portion. You've got a seed. What are you doing with the measure you have? What are you doing with the seed of faith that you have? Because your faith can grow today. I'm believing that by the end of this word, your faith is going to be so white hot. Your faith is going to grow and just enlarge. I just declare over you today that the gift of faith would be imparted to you through this word. I just declare over you today that the spirit of faith would so grip your heart through this word that you'd be believing for things that you came in one way, you left another way. Why? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, faith is a conductor of God's power. Doubt is an insulator from God's power. And often you and I live in the tension in between, betwixt between doubt and faith. The Bible says in Mark 9, 23, that the father brought his tormented son to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you can, do you think you could just help a brother out? If you can, and Jesus like, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. And he said, I believe, help my unbelief. Has anyone ever been there? I believe what it says, but help my unbelief. We've all been there. I believe God, you can heal, but gee, help my unbelief. When I don't see it come to pass the way I expect it to. God doesn't condemn you for that. He doesn't beat you up for that, but, but he wants you to grow in faith because Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You can always tell someone that's full of faith, there is a diligent pursuit. Where there's no faith, there's no contending for the outcome. There's no contending in prayer. There's no contending for a breakthrough. There's no willingness to sacrifice the present in order to possess the future word as a reality in your life. If it was just based on needs alone, then 
Every need would be met. There are lots of needs in this room today. There are lots of needs in the world. It's not that God doesn't care. He's, he's, he's compassionate. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. His loving kindness leads us to repentance. There's more than enough compassion. The issue isn't, is there a need or not a need? The issue is, is there any faith in the earth? The Bible says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth? Implying that in the last days before his return, there would be a lack of faith. We're going to make sure we are not unbelieving believers. Where we believed in Him for our salvation, but after we walk through the doorway of salvation, we don't explore the rest of the mansion of the kingdom of God and relationship because we just lack faith. Too many believers are stuck in the doorway of salvation and they don't realise there's a living room of fellowship and intimacy. They don't realise there's a bedroom of rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. They don't realise there's a kitchen filled with the bread of life and the meat of God's Word that God wants to cook up for you, for you to receive. A man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Stop getting stuck in the doorway of the mansion of the kingdom of God and by faith, occupy until he comes. By faith, possess every single promise that God has made available for you. See, science has broken the sound barrier. I'm believing today some believers will break the doubt barrier. You're gonna break the doubt barrier. Begin to contend for the things that God has called you to. Hebrews is a fascinating letter. It's written to believers that are capitulating, retreating under the pressure of persecution. People who once believed, stood in faith, they're stepping back from that boldness of faith because of persecution. How many of us know, even in our amazing country of Australia and in Western nations, the church, people of faith are under ideological persecution. There's persecution in the workplace. You can't share your faith. You can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, you know, it's okay for you to believe, but don't you Bible bash me. Don't bring that in. It's amazing the moment you just start being you and sharing, you know, what you did on the weekend. I went to church. Oh, don't Bible bash me. And everyone gets sort of like a cat in a hot tin roof simply because you're a person of faith. I'm telling you, faith is under persecution. And so if ever this passage of Scripture was relevant, it's relevant to us today. Thousands of years since this was written. Why? Because we need to be people that contend for the faith. Not only in our own individual lives, but in the, in the, in the wider marketplace that we find ourselves in. What is it about faith that this passage teaches? It teaches us that faith possesses God's now will for your life. Bible talks about in Isaiah 43 that behold I'm doing a new thing now it springs forth do you not perceive it what does faith do faith perceives the now thing that God's doing in your life praise God for what he once did praise God for what he once said but God's up to something new the reason we sing new songs in worship, and I love our old songs, they're awesome. The reason we're writing new stuff, singing new stuff, why? He says, sing a new song unto the Lord. There's a new word that God's bringing into your life today. 
You see, you need to understand something about the nature of God. God dwells in the eternal realm. He is eternal. He is not bound by time and space. He exists outside of the time and space continuum. Before you were, He was. After you and I are gone, He still will be. What faith does, faith reaches into the eternal nature of who God is. It reaches into the eternal realm and possesses the intention of God for our life through His Word. Now it perceives it, but it also possesses it. When Jesus moved in miracles, He's in relationship with His Father, but He was also anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Him and anointed Him to preach good news, to open the prison to those who are bound, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to open blind eyes, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus moved in miracles, John 5, 19 says, He could do nothing except what He saw the Father doing. So the Holy Spirit would reveal in His relationship with the Father what the Father wanted Him to do. And Jesus would be in a village and there'd be all manner of sick people. But the the Father would reveal through the Spirit that person. And He'd perceive by faith and move in the miraculous in that moment. He would perceive by faith in the midst of Jericho as he's passing through and and, and blind Bartimaeus is yelling out, son of David, have mercy on me. And he stops. There's something about faith that stops Jesus in his tracks. And he perceived that something was about to happen. What do you want? See, well, isn't it obvious I'm blind? No, what do you want? Get specific. I want you to move. I want you to, to heal me. I want you to restore my sight. You see, many of us are waiting for God to show up and do stuff in our life. God's waiting for our faith to rise up and possess what He's already made available to us. All the Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen. Now, we, we believe that, that is true, but there are 5,476 promises in the Bible of which one of those 5,476 have you come into agreement with? Because some of us are more in agreement with the lies of the enemy than we are with the truth of God's Word. And some of us need to break our agreement and our covenant that we've made with wrong thinking and lies of the enemy so that we can come into alignment to the truth of God's Word and by faith see that truth actually manifest and produce fruit in our lives. You see, what a lack of faith doesn't agree with, your flesh will try and manipulate into happening. Hello, Israel. Israel, get this word. I've given you the promised land. Go in and possess it. 11 days journey from where they were took 40 years. Why? Because they didn't come into agreement with the word of the Lord. They didn't operate by faith. 10 brought back a bad report. Tell you, you've got to be careful which voices you listen to. You've got to be careful which voices you listen to. Not every voice is building your faith. Not every voice is trying to help you. Some voices are like, be realistic. Well, yeah, of course, God's given us a brain, logic, rationality. He wants us to use our brains. But there's something about faith that sometimes is unreasonable. There's something about faith that God does stuff. 
where you, you, you need to just risk it for the biscuit, if you know what I'm talking about, and you've got to step out of your comfort zone and, and you've got to start to possess something. And what should have taken 11 days' journey took 40 years. And when the reject, when the rebuke came, when the correction came and said, right, a generation's going to die out in the desert. All of Israel rose up, all the men of war went out and in the flesh tried to conquer that which they couldn't receive by faith because they lacked it and they were destroyed by their enemies on that day. See, what's birthed in the spirit will be sustained in the spirit. What's birthed in the flesh will try and be manipulated and sustained in the flesh. It will not produce any fruit. We got to make sure that when it comes to the promises of God, that we're not just simply acknowledging it as a, as a mental ascent, but we're actually saying, okay, what is it about this word I've received? What is it about this text that I've got to rise up and partner with for it to become a reality in my life? Faith is not only present tense, it's defined by two things, the text says. It's defined by assurance and conviction in something I cannot see in the natural realm. The Bible says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Many people don't realise that faith needs an object, it needs a thing to work with for faith to materialise what is invisible into the visible realm. In other words, faith lies dormant where it lacks a goal. Goals are not of the enemy. Goals, specific things, are actually a product of your faith. You just need to make sure that they're sanctified goals, they're God-honouring goals, that they're desires that are given to you by the Spirit of God and not simply of your flesh. But faith needs something specific. Faith is the substance of things. Dr. David Yonghe Cho has written a book called Prayer Key to Revival. He's now graduated, gone to heaven. It's one of the first books I read many, many years ago that impacted my prayer life and my faith. He talks about that in war-torn Korea, after the Korean War, there's poverty. He's living in a tent. God's called him to the ministry, and he doesn't have a table, a chair, and a bicycle to do his ministry. So he asks God. Uh, he reads, we're asking, you shall receive, seek, and you'll find, etc." So he asks God for a table, a chair, and a bicycle. He believes in the principles of faith, but he doesn't fully understand it. And so for months and months go by, he doesn't receive any answer to his prayer. He's getting frustrated and he says, God, I've prayed. This is what your word says. He goes, Where, where's the chair, the table and the bicycle? And God says, well, what type of chair do you want? And what type of table do you want? And what type of bicycle do you want? Many of us are praying prayers like, God, bless me. God, pour out your favour. And God's like, where do you want the blessing? Where do you want my favour? Oh, God, just bless me. He's like, well... The Bible already says in Ephesians 1, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. What practically, specifically, tangibly do you want? He delights to give his kids good things, the Bible says. We, we, we're, so, we, we're so reluctant. Oh, I can't pray that false humility. Oh, we won't. No, he cares about what you care about and what is on your heart. He loves you. He's your heavenly father. He made you. He knows what you need even before you ask him. 
The Bible actually encourages you, get to the point as quickly as you can. Get specific because your father knows what you already need. And so he says, what type of chair? What type of uh, bicycle? What type of table? And Yongi Cho thought about it and he wrote down, he said, I want one of those big shot chairs, like with a long black leather back and wheels that I can roll around like a big shot in. And, and then I want a table made of Philippine mahogany. And then I want a bicycle that's actually been made in the USA so I can go around and disciple the church and preach the gospel. This is back in the late 50s, early 60s and within one month he got a chair, a table and a bicycle exactly according to the specifications of which he prayed. Some of you single people out there just saying, God, give me a man, give me a woman. Some of you need to get specific and you need to start saying, thank you, Jesus, here's my list. And I'm believing and I'm praying. You may laugh, but I've seen people get answers to prayer that'll shock your mind. Why? They got specific. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. You see, the ultimate source of our assurance and conviction is Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. The Bible says, don't look to things, look to Jesus. Hebrews 12.2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of, of faith. And so you've got to balance this substance of things with seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things he'll add to you you got to get right things right first things first but that doesn't discount the faith for the thing that you are believing for the entire foundation of your relationship with God is by grace through faith it's by your faith not your works that God commends you as righteous the Bible says it's by faith the people of old, the heroes of the faith that the Hebrew writer goes on to talk about, receive their commendation as righteous. And so when Noah built an ark, nearly a hundred years, some scholars say, where there was no rain, the only moisture that was watering the earth at that time was the moisture coming up from the, the soil, the ground, there was no rain. And so here's Noah asked to build an ark and it's not been raining for a long time. He's being mocked, he's being ridiculed. God says, that's righteous. What are you prepared to do in faith that others would look at and mock and yet you just believe the word of the Lord? The Bible says in Romans 4, that when Abraham believed God and Sarah believed God and they conceived and had the promised child and the, the, the promised son Isaac, that God saw their faith and, and said, that's righteous. Four times in the Bible, the Bible repeats, the righteous shall live by faith. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. That didn't come through your effort or your works, it came through your faith. So why, if you've begun in faith, would you try and perfect in your works? Works have a place. Wait for me. We'll get, I'm like the tour guide. We'll get there. But it begins in faith. And so it's by your faith that you're commended as righteous. Ephesians 2.8 says, We're saved 
by grace, God's divine unmerited favor, through faith. In other words, if grace is that river of living water, faith is the pipeline. How many of us know there's more than enough grace to meet every single need in your life? God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. God never runs out of grace. His grace is eternal. His grace is everlasting. His grace is unending. There's more than enough grace. The issue is, is there any faith? There's more than enough water available. The issue is, is there a pipeline? So it's like, imagine with me, the vaults of heaven are filled with grace. God's looking, is there any faith in the earth to access the grace? that is available? Is there any pipeline into your life of God's grace? He's all sufficient, ever abounding grace. Is there any pipeline into your life? You see, faith not only accesses grace, but faith actually perceives in the spirit what reason cannot comprehend in the natural. Verse three of this passage says, by faith we understand really important did not say by reason we understand did not say by education we understand did not say by logic we understand praise God for logic praise God for rational thinking praise God for for education get as educated as you possibly can my people suffer for a lack of knowledge but it's not just natural knowledge that we need to grow in. It's a knowledge of faith. It's the knowledge of the kingdom of God. There are only some things in the kingdom you'll understand by faith. God has a habit of asking you to do things that are unreasonable. God, how do we raise $100,000 years ago in Planet Church? Go and run from Sydney to Melbourne. No, that's the devil. That's illogical. It's irrational. It doesn't make any sense. Go and ask that manager of Eastland Shopping Centre for the building. But I already have. And he said no. I know he said no, but I'm telling you yes. So I go in. I don't even get to ask him. He pulls the keys out of his pocket, throws them across the table and says, so do you want my building or not? And for two years we didn't pay a cent rent. It didn't make sense. I don't understand it. But faith understands. The Spirit-filled know things that the not spirit-filled just try to work out and compute with their brains. How does this work? I don't know how it works, but I know what he said and what he said works. So I'm going to believe what he said and not what I think or not what I feel. What reason doesn't understand in the natural, faith rises up to possess. So when my dad had a cancerous growth on his tongue, tumor on his tongue. He's a preacher and, and, and a communicator. And the doctor said, we're going to cut out half your tongue. You're not going to be able to speak again. You're not going to be able to preach again. Oh, that, that's a bad day for a preacher. 
He took his Bible as a young boy. I saw him. I remember being in the church office with my mum on that very day, mark my life. And he walked in and he shared humbly what the diagnosis was after the test. And he, he grabbed that Bible and he came down to the altar of the church. And for five days, multiple hours in the day, he poured over the scriptures and prayed and began to declare the goodness of God over his tongue and over his body. And he knew what reason said, but then he went and explored what faith said. You see, some of you need to immerse yourself in what faith says, not just what reason says. Some of us are so preoccupied with the natural order of things. We're so earthly minded, we're of no heavenly use. You've got to pour yourself into what the truth says. You've got to immerse yourself. You've got to surround yourself with scriptures in your house. You've got to fill your ears with worship. You've got to get yourself immersed in God's perspective on your situation. And he went back to the doctor and the doctor said, let me check that tongue. We're going to test that again. He looks at it and he says, it looks different. Something's changed. It doesn't make sense. Oh, it makes sense. It makes sense to your spirit. Test it again. It's benign. It's not tumorous. Why? Because faith rose up. I could go through story after story after story. There's a gazillion of them in this room right now. Reason says, first see and then you'll believe. That's the world. I'll believe it when I see it. They never see it. Because faith says, I will believe first and then I'll see. That's why spiritual things can only be discerned to, to spiritual people whose hearts have been enlightened with the truth of God's word. And some of us are trying to convince people about faith in Christ through a debate and an argument. No, just love them into the kingdom. Just pray for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit, as you build relationship and trust and credibility, will open their hearts and their minds, that their minds would be enlightened. And I'm telling you, they'll come a day, they'll see it. Can't explain it just like you can't explain love, but you know it when you're in it. Can't explain it, but all I know is I see him. I see him. He's real. I need him. How can you convince someone of their need for Christ when their hearts are hardened and blinded to the reality, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit through prayer and that relationship of trust and love does something in that person's life and illuminates the entrance of your word, brings light and illuminates that truth. And then they, I see it. You see, if the invisible is going to manifest in the visible realm, it's got to be activated. How is it activated? Faith is activated by three things. What you hear, what you declare, and what you obey. You got to hear it, you got to declare it, and you got to obey it. What does the Bible say in verse three? By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen Mountains, Mount Everest, the natural order of creation, the sun. What is seen was not made out of material, visible things, but made, created by a derivative of the spoken word. 
The word. When God creates in your life, He creates through His Word. That's why preaching the Word is so powerful and important to get around and sit under. We're not just doing a pointless exercise here today where we're going through the motions of religious ritual. Oh no, these words are creating your future. These words are creating your life. These words are building your spirit. Next Sunday night at 5pm, I'm going to preach your future is in your mouth. The world, self-help industry, business, taken all these principles and applied them. And the world's like, wow, this is amazing. I remember one time I was asked to do a business event at Crown Casino, yes. And I went and preached the gospel in Crown Casino, except they didn't hear that, that you know, the, the, the Bible says they heard principles. And then everyone came to the breakout session afterwards and they're like, where did you get this stuff? I mean, when's your book coming out? I go, there's already been a book written. It's called the Word of God. And there are principles in it. Literally, at the end of that breakout session, we're leading people to the Lord in the foyer of the Crown Casino. This is 15 years ago. Why? Because the world's taken this stuff and they're applying it, using it. And the church says, oh, that sounds a little bit new agey to me. It sounds a little bit self-help. No, it's the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any uh, two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. The Word of God is alive. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to hear it. The key to activating your faith is hearing God's rhema. There are two Greek words for word. It's logos, rhema. Logos is the line upon line, precept upon precept. It's the, it's the written word. It's the ink on the page. It's what's been unfolded in history. And logos, reading of the word is good, but you need the rhema. You need the inspired word. You've been reading and reading and all of a sudden the light bulb goes on and you read something and it's like, it's in my spirit. It's now a part of me. It's like a prophetic, rhema-inspired insight. God reveals His will through your life, not just through reading the Logos, that's a good start, but faith coming by the rhema-inspired Word of God. Don't live off what just God said 20 years ago. You've got to get a new word for today. In fact, to be honest with you, I can't live off something I just heard yesterday. When Israel were in the wilderness, they had new manna every day. New manna, new bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, that comes from the mouth of God. Think about when Jesus did the original Michael Jackson moonwalk on the water. It's the first one. Everyone gave Michael Jackson money for it. Jesus did it 2,000 years ago. He did better than that. He defied the laws of gravity. Disciples are there making no headway in the middle of a storm and the Sea of Galilee. And here's Jesus just moonwalking across the sea. And Peter looks and sees it. All the other disciples are like, it's a ghost. Peter's like, I want to do what he's doing. And Peter understood something for all of his issues, for all of his denial of Christ and being labeled, you know, partnering with Satan. Bad day. For all of that... Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. Because Peter understood something. If Jesus says it, that settles it. And Jesus said, come, one word. All you need from heaven is one word. All you need from heaven. My whole ministry, my whole life has been shaped by one word. 
One word in one day, one prophecy in one uh, conference, one, one encounter in my devotions, one word from someone to encourage me, a word, a word, a word. Many of us are trying to work it out in our own strength. No, you've got to live your life by the word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. How do you work through decisions of, of, of jobs and relationships and all the navigating of life? It's through His Word. And His Word just gives you enough light to take one more step. If you don't have the Word, you're in darkness. You don't know what to do. You're more lost than a goose in a hailstorm and, and you're up this way and you're yo-yo that way. And, and God says, but my Word is here. It's available to you. I want to feed you my word. I want to speak to you my word. He is the bread of life. He's the one who will sustain you and strengthen you. And so one word, Peter gets out, walks on top of the water. He defies nature. He defies the laws of gravity. Why? Because he kept his heart on the word. The moment he took his eyes, his faith off the living word, he looked at the wind and the waves. Some of us have got to stop looking at the wind and the waves and get our eyes back on the word. The wind and the waves were still there when he was walking on top of the water. The wind and the waves will still be in your life. The issue is, have you got your attention on the living word? So you hear it and then you declare it. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. And the power of the sun in all of its brilliance came into being at God's Word. Whenever God's getting something ready to create in your life, He creates through the Word. So once you hear the Word, you've actually got to understand that you've got to partner with the Word by declaring what God's saying over you. Even neurosurgeons understand that your central nervous system is governed by the speech center. And so the speech center actually activates your nervous system to operate in alignment with your faculties of speech. And people wonder why when they keep speaking death and weakness and pain and torment and complaint and grumbling, why it manifests in their world. It's not ooky spooky. It's the laws of the kingdom of God. It's the laws of creation. It's the laws of nature. And I tell you, there's something powerful. You need to be there next Sunday night, 5 p.m. because you need to understand your future is in your mouth. What are you speaking over your marriage? You can make me the best preacher on the planet or the worst preacher. It all comes back to your confession. Seriously, it all comes back to how you receive it. This church can be the best church you've ever been to in your life or the worst. All comes back to your perception and your confession. Your job can be like the worst experience or you can learn, say, Jesus, what do you want me to learn out of this? How do you want me to grow? I'm going to speak life over my boss. I'm going to speak life over my customers. I'm going to speak life over my client. I'm going to speak life over this environment. You know, there's all sorts of immorality and pain and torment going on. I believe for a revival in this business. I, re I believe for a move of God in this workplace. It all comes back to this. And I've just learned, you keep speaking it, you keep declaring it, you keep believing and contending for it. You watch the natural order of things confirm into the invisible realm of the Spirit and it'll start to shape and reshape that environment for His glory. Everything I ever got in God never looked like it was going to happen in the start and God made a way. 
So you declare it and then you obey it. A few years ago at conference, Dr. Michael Maiden prophesied over Simone a miracle house. Little did he know we'd been praying for a long time, saving, preparing, hadn't had a breakthrough. And so Simone soon after found this miracle house. It was going to be a miracle. I'm very reluctant to tell this story in the past because people misunderstand it. People misunderstand your heart. But I'm telling you, it works. And, and, and Simone found this house. We went through it. Everyone was going through it. All of Melbourne was going through the house. And I'm like, man, this is, this is awesome. But I just, and then that doubt comes in. I believe, help my unbelief. We went through there on the Saturday in five days' time was an auction. We weren't prepared. We weren't ready, Lord. Sunday night, I'm on my way home. It was Vision Sunday, that's right. And I'd been casting vision for the church and for what God was going to do in the world. And God says, how come you can believe for other believers in the church, but you can't believe for your own household? Some of us believe more for others than we do for ourselves. He said, I want you to go home. I want you to get a bottle of oil and I want you to go to that property and I want you to declare in the middle of the night in Jesus' name, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I have given to you and I want you to pour that anointing oil out on that property. So I went on the way home and I drove that car and I went there in the middle of the night. I'm like Nicodemus going to see Jesus in the middle of the night. Is anyone looking? I don't want to be a stalker. And so I go and I put one foot on that property and then I got a little bit more courage and I put another foot on that property and I said in Jesus' name, this miracle house shall be ours. Every place of the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I have given to you. I'm pouring every little drop of that oil out on it and then I put it and I run back to my car and I go home. In four days, mark my word, in four days, that house was ours in Jesus' name. We were on a plane. We weren't even there. We were on a plane. We bought the house on a plane. I'm telling you, this stuff works. The word works. I wish I had just two or three who would agree with me today because where two or three agree, let it be established. I don't need another. I don't need a million. I don't need a thousand. I just need two or three to come into agreement. Then I was at a, another conference and took the team to this conference up in Sydney. And every day, three days in the conference, they took up two offerings a day. Oh, it killed me. <laughs> two offerings. And every offering, the Lord says, give again, give again. I'm going to be more broke than the Ten Commandments, God, if I keep giving into these offerings. So I, I'm, I'm giving, I'm giving, and I'm just seeing the bank account go down. And I'm giving and I'm, I'm being obedient. And then that last offering, were you there? Do you remember that conference in Sydney? And, and, and we were there and the dude said, now I want you to get two, one, two or three things in mind that you're believing for. And so he got the two big buckets that were filled up and the lid on top. And he goes, I'm going to throw these in there. It was wild. It was a zoo. I didn't believe all that superstition. But, but he said, I, I, I'm going to throw. And, and by the time these things hit the ground, the answer is on its way. So I say, Lord, I, I don't believe in superstition, but I believe you've asked me to give. And I'm just here. And I'm saying, God, I've given seed offerings. I'm believing, number one, for a financial breakthrough. I'm believing for a double for my trouble. Everything I've given, Lord, I ask for double back and I'm believing for my sister to be saved and come back into the church. 
because she was so far away from the Lord and she might even be here today. And uh, my beautiful sister. Well, cut a long story short, one kilometre out of Tullamarine Airport when I landed, I had a business friend from Singapore call me and said, Corey, God's just laid upon my heart to give you an amount of money. It was double that which I gave in the offering the last three days. Less than one kilometre from the airport. Immediate. The other answer to prayer took 15 years. One Sunday I was standing here and you got to understand for years and years and years, my family and I praying, believing for my beautiful sister and daughter, my dad, mum and dad's daughter to be in the house of the Lord. I look across at an altar call and here she was with the biggest smile on her face. And from that day to this day, nearly every week, she's in the house of God. I'm telling you, this word works. I'm telling you, faith works. And when these three dimensions of faith are working together, the invisible becomes visible. God's HBN is not limited by the size of your mountain. Many of us are looking up at our circumstances like it's like Mount Everest and we're looking up at it going, it's impossible. God made Mount Everest. He's looking down on it. He's not scratching his head going, go get the angel with the mangy wing. I mean, we need help here. What are we going to do? No, he looks at the mountain and he says, you know what? I made it. He looks at your circumstances and says, I didn't make it, but I can resolve it. It's not limited by the size of your mountain. It's limited by the size of your faith. And apparently, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Bible says in Matthew 17, 20, you'll speak to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.